Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Tales from Tolt. My name is Dwayne Davidson, your host. This is a program where we discuss the fascinating and rich history of that place we call the Sonoma Valley, basically from Monroe to North Bend. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Tales from Tolt. I'm Dwayne Davidson, your host. And hey, today I have a, a special guest. He's actually the second uh, episode he's doing uh, for me. Uh, you may have already heard the episode that played last week about riverboats that came up the Snoqualmie and was the first form of real freight transportation in the uh, valley. Second was the railroads. And we're going to be actually talking about the uh, uh, the two railroads that served the Duval incarnation. But first of all, let me welcome Alan. Hi, Dwayne. Glad to be here again. Alan is a, for you folks, if you didn't hear last week's episode, he is quite the historian. He has done a remarkable job of writing down a lot of stuff that's in various books and publications. I hope you're able to, to get at the Duval Historical Society, really a good documentation of our local history here, especially in the Duval area. Uh, but uh, Alan is quite the historian. He's a rail buff. He's a, but I'm just really a rail buff that can't make any kind of claim to anything else. Alan's went full measure. He actually worked for 10 years, the one that he's a, a, a rail fan for, and that's mostly the Milwaukee Road. I would say that that has to be your favorite railroad, right? Yep. And that's one of the railroads that are subject to today's discussion. So, Alan, I want to draw on this experience you had of both being an employee with the railroad and uh, your vast knowledge of the Milwaukee Road. Let me just begin by kind of painting the picture for people that might not know as much about the history of the valley. Here we had these uh, towns starting up, service up to this point, mostly by river boats and by freight, by wagon, and the railroads came to town. Now, these were two pretty big railroads. The Great Northern and the Milwaukee Road are both what they consider class one, right? Yeah, transcontinental railroads. Transcontinental railroads. These are big players. And here they are in little bitty Snoqualmie Valley. This wasn't just a branch line operation. These guys had major interests. The Milwaukee was coming in from the south, Cedar Falls Way. They were building a line to Everett, which was an important, going to be a pretty important line for them, as it turns out. Great Northern had similar interests in that their main line was to the north, going through Monroe, and they were coming south. And they were basically a railroad that came to Seattle through Everett. So they already had a dominance around the north end and things. They were looking to capture more market in uh, the east side and southern Seattle areas, and maybe were planning on getting a line down further south. So there was a real competitive nature between these two railroads at one time, correct? Yeah, and the, the Snoqualmie Valley was basically untapped. It had some logging railroads up here, but as far as general freight and pasture service, uh, there was nothing. The Like we discussed last week, the riverboats was the main source of transportation into the valley. And so railroads would supply or would provide a reliable year-round service, transportation, pasture and freight service. So the Great Northern, they were the first ones to make the move, and they kind of did it in a halfway sneaky way. <laughs> they 
created a company called the Everett and Cherry Valley Traction Company. It sounded like it was going to be a streetcar line. And they came in and they uh, uh, bought up a right away through the valley. And because everyone thought it was going to be a basically a rapid transit passenger line, some of the farmers literally gave their right away free when they found out that it was basically a, a branch line of the Great Northern Railroad. And Jim Hill was kind of uh, the uh, stereotypical robber baron. <laughs> there was some uh, hard feelings. So when the Milwaukee Road came through about six months later and she was buying right away through the valley, the farmers would team up and hire uh, a lawyer amongst them and uh, negotiate the prices. So the Milwaukee Road ended up having to pay uh, pretty premium prices for their right away through the valley. But they evidently that it was worth the extra money. Now, the Milwaukee Road had some grandiose plans. This uh, line was supposed to go all the way to Bellingham. And they had surveys on three different routes to get to Bellingham. One route went up uh, Woods Creek from Monroe and that direction and actually would have went through Darrington to get to Bellingham. And then they had two routes off of uh, the north end of Everett that they were going to use. One was a... Uh, a logging railroad called the Marysville and Northern Railroad. They were going to buy up that logging line and rebuild it to uh, their higher standards and use that for part of the right of way, and then and then on the way up and big plans. But not, but they only got as far as Everett, and then uh, the plans petered out. Uh, Great Northern also had big plans. Their line was supposed to go to uh, Renton. Uh, through Issaquah and to Renton. I, in fact, I just recently got in the mail some some maps that show that route that I'd never seen before. So it's never too late to learn more things about it. Uh, but they also had a grandiose plan to go up to North Bend. And then uh, they were going to go through uh, a, a pass up there in uh, up on Snoqualmie. Escapes me the name of that. You told me to me. That pass that I had on the tip of my tongue. But uh, they, they, uh, this line was going to take them back to Wenatchee. And this was going to be a lower grade than, the, uh, than going over Stevens Pass. Oh. So if those plans had gone through, we may have, have had Burlington Northern Santa Fe mainline trains going through Duval Incarnation well, right now. But, well, that's so fast. So let me, uh, let me paint a picture. Uh, uh, I don't know if this is correct, and so if you if you have a different opinion, this is all opinion. Correct me if you're wrong, but uh, I'm a Milwaukee Road fan myself, like you. But with, even with that said, I think because the Great Northern was already here, they already had some uh, good experience in the Great Northwest. Because J.J. Hill was a guy that got things done, and he wasn't the type of guy that you want to fool with much. The guy got things done. I think if you take all things considered. If you took any type of competition between these two railroads in a play, normally I would say that the Milwaukee Road, which basically didn't have a figure like J.J. Hill running, it was almost like an autocratic guy running against a committee kind of a, a railroads. I would give the upper hand to the Great Northern, but the Great Northern was first to pull up the tracks. They can see so this big rivalry was this kind of a David Goliath situation, and David won. Kind of, because uh, the uh, what 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 happened is uh, 
the Milwaukee was about six months behind the Great Northern. And Great Northern came through the valley, surveyed it, and started buying up right away. And the Milwaukee started their railroad line about six months behind the Great Northern. But what they did is the Great Northern bought a right away alongside the river because there was several shingle mills on the river that they were going to get business from. Well, the Milwaukee came down and bought a right away between the Great Northern and the river, right on the edge of the river in some places, and kind of squeezed out the Great Northern by being able to be closer to the mill to put their spurs in. And so they they kind of came in and in Duval, they literally stole the, the shingle mill business away from the Great Northern there because they built right across the right away where they were going to have a spur into the mill and the spur never got built. So Milwaukee got all the business out of the Duval uh, Cherry Valley shingle mill. And to show the difference in construction, if you look at the Great Northern line through the valley, you'll see that it follows the contours of hills and stuff. They took the easier way to grade the line and it has more curvature in it. The Milwaukee's line is much straighter because they had more modern equipment because they had just built a transcontinental line all, so all the way out here. And so they had all this heavy equipment from their uh, contractor, uh, H.C. Henry Company. Uh, they used the same contractor to build the branch line down through the valley as they did to build the main line. So they had a lot of heavy equipment that they could use to, to do it. And through the valley itself, because of the flooding, they literally built the railroad on piling all the way through the valley. Now it was temporary piling, so it wasn't uh, heavy built bridges like you would normally see. And uh, then they got uh, fill material from several pits. There was a gravel pit up on Stillwater Hill. There was a big gravel pit in Monroe, which is now a Cadman pit. And from those pits, they were able to haul fill material out and literally fill these bridges in uh, in place, and they left the bridges in, temporary bridges. Uh, I remember after the railroad line was abandoned, that if you hiked it, sometimes you'd find a hole about eight, 10 inches big in the ground where these pilings had rotted away, and they just literally left a hole fell through and left a hole in the ground. But but anyway, they uh, the Milwaukee was smart. They They knew what the flood level was of the river so they literally built the line above the flood level and then filled it in. But because they had to use so much fill, uh, it delayed putting the pasture trains on. They, they opened the line for freight service on November 12, 1911. And uh, they didn't put pasture trains on until April of 1912 because they had uh, to let these fills settle and then come back in and put more fill on them and jack the tracks up and level them out more. And they didn't want to take the chances with pasture train derailing or something because of the fill settling. Mm -hmm. So uh, so it was funny because uh, the Great Northern Line ended up only being 18 miles long from Monroe to, to Toll. And uh, the Milwaukee's branch was 54 miles long from Cedar Falls to Everett. And they started six months behind the Great Northern, and they finished six months behind the Great Northern. So wow. they built several more times more railroad, but in the same amount of time, basically. Wow, that's interesting. So, and the Great Northern line, for those of you who don't know, 
the Great Northern Line ended in the town of uh, Atoll, now Carnation, and uh, just on the uh, south end of town, for those of you that don't know, uh, you know, the particulars of the history, the Great Northern was on the west side of town and the Milwaukee Road was on the east side of town, basically the city limits at the time. And um, the uh, Great Northern Line terminated at the uh, uh, the old road that went to the ferry uh, that now is where the, to the uh, Tolta Historical Society is located. And uh, some folks say that it was uh, alleged that a big barn by the Yurtis family was one of the deciding factors that uh, it kept them from building on. But I think there were many factors. They, they were having a lot of trouble with the bridge over the Skykomish, isn't that true? Yeah, and they, uh, to go any further past Tolt, they would have to build a bridge across the Tolt River, which was so that's a major expensive. one. And I feel that to get to Fall City, of course, they'd have to build another bridge across the Snohomish or Snohomish River to get it actually into town. No railroad seemed to be able to make it into the town of Fall City. No, both of them. Not Northern sure. Pacific was a mile or so out on the... And so was in Milwaukee. And the Milwaukee was up on the hillside where the dump used to be. So, so nobody could actually get a rail service into the town proper. And, and for the Great Northern to do it, they would have had to build a pretty substantial bridge uh, just to get that extra right. right into the town itself versus doing business across the river from the town. Yeah. And I think that the Great Northern decided that uh, that there just wasn't enough business to warrant two big expensive bridges across the river. And uh, even in those days, uh, it was quite a, a, a bit of uh, hoop jumping to build, be able to build these bridges across the river because they were considered navigable rivers and you had to go through uh, the uh, well, it's not the it wasn't the Coast Guard, but it was a, a similar type of body that governed the navigable rivers. Oh, I see, I see. Well, this isn't this isn't documented opinion. This is just me stating. I bet JJ Hill wasn't happy that he got beat out in this particular area. Just he didn't seem like the personality. It took defeat very easily. Yeah, he was a cheapskate, though. Uh, <laughs> I mean. Considering that the Great Northern ran on switchbacks over Stevens Pass for uh, seven years, uh, whereas the Northern Pacific ran on switchbacks for just a few months until they got the Stampede Tunnel built, Hill held off on, on building a tunnel for so long that his railroad became a bottleneck up there trying to get... And actually, and actually, we need to go to break, but actually it led to a major disaster up a huge loss of life on those switchbacks with a site at, what was that, Wellington or something like that? Well, the Wellington disaster happened after the tunnel. Had oh, it already did. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, hey, we'll take a break for just a, a couple minutes and we'll be right back uh, to talk a little bit more about the arrival of railroads of the Great Northern and the Milwaukee Road, otherwise known as Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Paul, Pacific Railroad in the uh, in the Soconda Valley. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Northwest eclectic music. Hi, I'm Seth Shostak and I'm an actual scientist, although I don't wear a white lab coat. Maybe a straitjacket. I'm Molly Bentley, I'm a science journalist, and we are your hosts on Big Picture Science, bringing you the latest from the labs every week. So join us Thursdays at 6 p.m. for the coolest in science and technology, Big Picture Science. That's Thursdays at 6 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 FM.
Okay, folks, hey, Rick, welcome back to Tales to Tolt. We're talking to uh, Alan Miller, who is quite the historian about railroads and especially uh, about the uh, Milwaukee Road, being an ex-employee of the Great Railroad himself. You know, I've always really, really fond of the Milwaukee Road because they just were so well-built and they really were a forward-thinking railroad. And the fact that they built a railroad that we would be, we built, it was ahead of its time almost because they built right after completion, they went into electrification process to make it electrified lines, which was at great, great expense and maybe even been contributing factor. I guess that this is all a matter of big debate, but Alan, was that one of possibly one of the contributing factors of why they went into their first bankruptcy? Probably was. They were, uh, at the time they built the extension out to the Pacific coast, uh, 1908 to 19. Uh, nine labor was at an all-time high at that time, so the the railroad ended up costing them many times over what they projected it was going to cost. It was built very lavishly, as far as a lot of steel bridges on it that are still standing today, and uh, a lot of the work is still uh, original work that survived all these decades, and it was a shorter route. I don't think they fully took advantage of that. I think they could have used that shorter route to better advantage to get business away from the Northern Pacific and the Great Northern. But I don't think they had the, the guts in their management to do that. They were afraid of stepping on toes, I guess. So I think that they kind of missed an opportunity there. But they did have that huge debt from the original construction. And then they turned around and electrified 650 miles of mainline railroad. And uh, that was a huge expense, too. And I think between the two combinations, they just uh, it finally caught up to them in the mid-20s when there was a kind of a recession in business, too, to push them over the edge. And another factor, I just thought about this, or I just I remembered it, is that uh, during construction, I think it was still, they're still being constructed, but most of their trestles were built. There was one of the largest forest fires this nation's ever had that wiped out all of those trestles and the bitter roots, right? Yeah, yeah, the big fire in 1910, the big blow, I think they called it. And uh, yeah, that did a substantial damage to the railroad. Uh, they, uh, they ran a couple of rescue trains up there and they actually had to take refuge in a couple of tunnels up there to wait out the fire because it literally caught up to the rescue trains and they. They couldn't get out and the trestles burned out. Uh, so yeah, the Milwaukee went through a lot of uh, trials and tribulations out here, but they still managed to survive until uh, 1980 before they finally had to throw in the towel. But, but before 1980, when the, both railroads were running through uh, uh, our valley here, uh, they were still both in operation. Uh, the country went to war in World War One, and uh, the railroads were nationalized for the very first time and taken under, what did they call that administration? It was the uh, United States Railroad Administration, the USRA. And they basically uh, took over management of all the railroads in, in the nation. And uh, in our local uh, situation down here, they basically told the Great Northern to run their trains over on the uh, parallel Milwaukee road line between Carnation and uh, Monroe and uh, to give up their line because they felt that it was uh, 
redundant to have to maintain two parallel railroad lines. Around 1917, the Great Northern gave up their line through the valley and literally ran their trains over on the Milwaukee Road for about two years. And then the Great Northern quit running down the valley and they had an arrangement with the Milwaukee Road that they would interchange cars to the Milwaukee Road at Monroe. And then the Milwaukee Road would spot the Great Northern cars uh, for them. And then they would pay them Milwaukee Road a switching charge to do that. So there it is. That's the answer why the Great Northern really uh, pulled out. It was actually the government's decision. And I find that kind of really uh, interesting as a... Uh, a person that's kind of dabbled in politics myself and have been in elected office in this state. I think that this is a big lesson because this is what happens when you give government a little bit too much control. Why were they making those type of decisions? I don't think that that was what they were originally set up for, which was to help to expedite the war effort and make sure that the military had basically priority when it came to rail traffic. But now all of a sudden you give a little bit of power and they're telling the railroads what railroad lines they had to abandon and things. That seems a little overreach to me. Oh, yeah. They, there was uh, quite a, a few things that they did that didn't make sense in, in Everett. Uh, they shut down the Milwaukee Road Depot in Everett and uh, the uh, Milwaukee Road passenger trains had to go to the Northern Pacific Depot down in the Riverside District of Everett during that time to do their business. and. Uh, they uh, uh, shut down certain railroad yards, and in, in Tacoma itself, the uh, Milwaukee Road uh, Olympian and Columbian pasture trains operated out of uh, the Northern Pacific's Union Station down on Pacific Avenue in Tacoma, and they quit, quit going to the Milwaukee Road Depot in Tacoma during that time. So they made a lot of changes in, in towns where you had more than one railroad. They tended to want to centralize railroad operations out of one area and then literally shut down the rest of the railroad operations. It doesn't make sense to me about competition. Is that no, in fact, it messed the railroads up so badly that when World War II came, they made a completely different decision and they let the railroads run themselves. And they found out that uh, the people that know how to run the railroads should be the ones <laughs> to run them because the 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 difference was like night and day the the during world war ii the railroads moved a lot of uh, military equipment very efficiently where in world war one it was just a, a cluster yeah and that's not an experiment during wartime the grief yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and and the the business on the great northern was was substantially less than the milwaukee road uh the, the Great Northern trains were ran what they call mixed trains, where they were basically freight trains with a couple of passenger cars tacked onto the rear. What was a dead end branch? And uh, yeah. and the travel time forty five minutes from Monroe to Duval, and then another forty five minutes to go from Duval to the trains ran rather slow. So you're looking at over an hour and a half to get eighteen miles down the road, but that's because the train had to stop at every mill and. And stuff and switch either set in empty cars or or pull out loaded cars out of there. So it was a like a what they call a milk run where you're not making much time on there. Whereas the Milwaukee Road ran a separate passenger train that made good time. It could run from Everett all the way up to Cedar Falls in about an hour and a half. Wow. Faster than the Great Northern could get from the road at Toll. <laughs> and uh 
And so the passenger service was, was uh, pretty superior. And then they had separate freight service and Milwaukee Road ran dedicated log trains. Uh, they ran one called the Stillwater Logger that ran from Everett up to Stillwater just to get Cherry Valley's logs. Cherry Valley was delivering anywhere to up to 60 cars or logs a day at their Stillwater interchange. And then you had another big one called High Rock Logging Company out between Monroe and Duval that, that interchanged to both railroads, but the majority of the logs went to the Milwaukee. And so the Milwaukee just had a lot more business out of the valley than the Great Northern did. What, one thing that doesn't get talked about as far as I'm concerned, near enough uh, in small towns with railroads, is that uh, the railroads always had telegraph associated with them, and they would actually uh, make that into a profit uh, uh, endeavor also of being a form of communication. I would imagine by the time that the railroad, the Great Northern left, telephones were pretty much pretty established. So the loss of a telegraph company probably wasn't that important. But uh, did both of the railroads provide telegraph service at one time? Uh, the Great Northern did not. There was no telegraph on the Great Northern. They, uh, they used phones. Oh, I didn't they know that. They had a phone system uh, that they used on that. Uh, the Milwaukee Road had both. Uh, the Milwaukee Road owned their own telegraph business. Now, most railroads partnered with Western Union to handle telegrams. Milwaukee Road developed their own competing company called Continental Telegraph. And so they, uh, they had uh, telegraph through the valley and phone service both. They mainly used the phones for dispatching trains like copying train orders and and uh, communications like that. And then the telegraph business was pretty much private telegraph. But they would also get uh, like uh, voting night, uh, all the voting results would come in over telegraph. And in Duval, they had a guy lived here that, that they call Society Red, who was a telegraph operator off of, I think, the Union Pacific Railroad, and I think he got fired for drinking. <laughs> and he became just kind of a roustabout guy in town. And he would come down to the depot, and the agent got to the point where he wouldn't let him come in the building anymore because he would listen to the telegraph and get news off of it, and then he'd go uptown and spread the news. <laughs> and so there was, a, there was a big price fight going on back in the 20s. Society Red came down. And of course, they wouldn't let him in the depot, but he leaned against the, the building and he could hear the vibration from the telegraph. And he got the results of the price fight. And then he went uptown and when the agent got the mail off of the passenger train and had to make his trip up to the post office, he had all this news about the price fight. And when he got up there, it was all old news because society already <laughs> scooped him. Oh, that's interesting. Hey, so we just got a, a, a minute or two left. So before we depart, I just, to be of general interest to people that might be listening to this, because this is really a, a very interesting uh, history that we have here. When the tracks started pulling and, the, and the, uh, they started sharing lines and so on and so forth, the Milwaukee also abandoned their line from Monroe to Everett, and uh, they started running their trains over the Great Northern. But through the valley here, where people are listening, the uh, it, it's kind of hard to explain because there's so many different changes, but basically much of what is now 203 runs on some of what was former rail line. Is that true? Yeah, that's the, the the old Great Northern Line. So is that basically from Duval to can, just for listeners can uh, where where basically is 
what you're driving today, you're basically driving on an old rail line. Yeah, pretty much. You're from uh, from Duval, pretty much all the way to Monroe is all on the, uh, well, at least to the Tualco Road. From the Tualco Road, the Great Northern kind of goes through a farmer's field and then over towards the Stycomish River there. So that old grade has been pretty much obliterated by farmers uh, flattening it out. Just and the Great Northern, the same thing for the Great Northern down there near Carnation. Yeah, the same so, thing when you get to about where Fay Road comes down to Highway 203, you're leaving the Great Northern grade. The Great Northern went through the swamp there, crossed the Milwaukee Road, and then went on the other side of the Milwaukee into Carnation. And that grade is still pretty intact down there. Uh, you can see it coming into Carnation. You can see the grade real easily because it's all covered with cottonwood trees. Single line of cotton trees. Yeah. It's a telltale sign. And, yeah. uh, so that's what happened to the, the Great Northern grade. And the Milwaukee, uh, the business on the Milwaukee road line through the valley ended when Weyerhaeuser stopped shipping uh, wood chips to the pulp mills and ever. They switched over to trucks. And uh, so there was no more need for a local freight service uh, over the line. The Milwaukee made their last run through the valley on February the 9th, 1973 was the last night that the local went up the valley. And then the line just sat dormant for a while and then it was pulled up in uh, 1976. There you have it in two weeks time. We covered steamboats and no railroads to the railroads and now no railroads. But from, but from Duval South, it's a rail trail that you can hike. Yes. Yeah, you can. Yeah, in the King County portion of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, that's, thank you, Alan. Thank you so much for being my guest again. You're welcome. It's been a lot of fun reminiscing about the dueling railroads of uh, the Duval and Carnation area. So until next week, folks, hey, thank you for tuning in. 